in this life, in this world, there are two kinds of people. There are mourning people and those who are not mourning people. There are those who cover their chips in sauce and those who put sauce on the side. There are those who hang the toilet paper properly and then there are those rightly described as monsters. Uh, this even creeps into marketing. Advertising, a few years ago you might remember there was the ad- advertising of PC and Mac. And you know if they'd filmed it in Australia it would be PC and Stew. Uh, the ancient world was similar. Uh, Paul is writing uh, to the centre of the, the ancient world, Rome, uh, and the Romans would have considered themselves Greek. That is, the heirs of Greek philosophy and culture and learning, and everybody else sort of uh, out beyond the empire, they were the barbarians. Uh, and for the Jews, they too, they divided the world into Jews, those of nationality and religion, the Jew, and everyone else, the Gentile. Uh, throughout human history, we have seen ourselves and others in terms of these two kinds of people, which really at the heart of it boils down to us and them. And we, the us, we're the good guys, and they, the them, are the bad. Now, that's what we're going to look at and see and consider uh, in God's Word today. We're going to see not only our perspective, but rather we can see God's perspective on humanity uh, and on ourselves. And uh, what we're going to do now is I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'm going to pray that God would give us His perspective, His understanding, and that would change and shape us. So let's pray now together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it reveals to us the truth of how things are, of who You really are, and how we really are as well. Uh, and in this, we pray You'd help us to understand Jesus, to see Him clearly, to apprehend Him, to grasp hold of Him as we should. In his name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Uh, It'd be great if you had uh, your Bible open in front of you. The text will come up on the screen as well. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Uh, Paul, the author uh, of this book, a Jew by, by descent and, and by religious training and instruction, he, he's been making a case, building an argument for chapters 1 and 2, and here he says he reaches his conclusion. And the conclusion is, are we, that is the Jews, those who have the law and the prophets, are we any better than them? And the answer is, no, not at all. All alike are under sin. This would not have been a popular message in the day of Paul. It's not a popular message in our day and age. And I say that's because it does not fit with how we view ourselves and how we view others. I said, we, we, we're the good guys. Uh, they might be bad, but we're the... See, what we think of, uh, we think of humanity as sort of being on a spectrum. Uh, there's good people and bad people. And, and sort of down one end, you know, we would put Mother Teresa, uh, she, you know, the cream, cream of the crop, and then down the other end, Hitler, the worst of the worst. And everyone kind of fits there somewhere in between. And we sort of in, in Sydney and in the West, we, we kind of think, well, we like to think of people as being basically good. 
Uh, you, we think, oh, I'm not perfect, but... And so what we do is say most people, we're down the kind of good end of the spectrum. And there's surely a cut-off point there where you become bad. Maybe, you know, 93% are good, 7% are bad. But we, well, we're on, we're on the right side of the numbers. We're on the right side of that dividing line. Uh, and we can always think of some people who are worse than us. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as them. Uh, you know, and, and if you can find somebody religious who's a hypocrite, that's great because they're worse than you. And, and that's how we think, isn't it? People around us think that way. I think, it, I think that is the way. You see it with Israel Folau. Uh, he, on Twitter, made a statement. He said that um, homosexuals would come under God's wrath and they would go to hell. And what people heard him saying... I don't think he was saying this, but they heard him saying homosexuals are bad people, that he was good and they were bad based on nothing other than their sexual orientation. He was sort of pushing them down that end of the spectrum and people said, that's not right. That's not fair. How can you say that? How dare you say that? Because that's how they think of good and bad. And, and... Now, the Jews, they would have had the same sort of spectrum. They were the good people. The good people were the Jews. And everyone else, the Gentiles, they were in trouble. So we might like to think most people are good. They would have said most people, no, they're in trouble. And you can see that in, in Jesus' day, don't you? Who, who they say it's um, Jesus hanging with the sinners and tax collectors. So they kind of push them out of the camp, right? And they're in trouble with everyone else. And when you heard the reading before uh, from verses 10 to 18, didn't it sound to you quite hard? Didn't it sound too much, bleak, of no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, everyone turning away. And we think that's, it just sounds so over the top. It can't be right. It's not true of me or my family or my friends or my neighbours. It's just, it's exaggeration. I want to try and make the case that it's not exaggerated. Uh, just by picking on one verse, focusing in on verse 13, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips. I want us to consider this in light of two examples and to think that it might, in fact, this and the other verses might indeed accurately and rightly describe all of us. I want us to consider the Banking Royal Commission. I don't know if you've been following the news, it's been going on uh, in, in recent days and weeks, and what have we seen there as the, the banks, the various banks have been brought before the Royal Commission? And banks are really just, they're just an assembly of people, aren't they? It's not the institution that's done anything, it's people within those organisations. What have we found? Outrageously poor, exploitative treatment of their customers. Haven't we? And what's at the heart of that treatment? What, what, what's happened to allow? It's deceit isn't it? Lies have been told, forgeries, misrepresentations, withholding of information, non-disclosure of conflicts of interest, claiming to act in a customer's interest but really not doing anything of the sort. And so their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips. It's poetic, but I want to put to you, it's accurate. Now, I don't know if you work in banking. If you don't, it's easy for us to say, well, that's them. That's the banks. It's not us. I do know some people who work in banking, and what do they say? That's not our division. That's them over there. Uh, let, let me 
bring it home a little bit closer for you. Um, if, if you're a man uh, and you're in a relationship, you're married or engaged or what have you, there's two kind of phrases that you hate to hear. The first is, we need to talk. Uh, that means you're in trouble, you just don't quite know how and you, you're going to find out. But the other one is really a question uh, that you really don't want. And, and friends, you know that popular TV show, they sort of ad- address this. And this question, it's really a trap. In a sense, there's no right answer and you're going to get yourself into trouble one way or another. I must say, this has never happened to me. Uh, I just sort of hear this is how it happens to other people. But if you do have to meet my wife at some point, you can just not mention this part of the sermon. The, the question that all men... Hey, is, does my bum look big in this? Does my bum... It's a trap. Because there's no right answer. If you say yes... It does look big in, in that outfit. You're like the back of a Mack truck. We need a wide load sticker across there. What? You're a dead man, aren't you? You're in trouble. It's not worth living. If in friends, I say, if you even pause and think and consider, you're a dead man as well. Now, why is that? Because the question isn't really, does my backside look big in this? It's, do I have a big backside? And so friends would say the answer is always no. Reflex, no. Get asked, no. Don't think, don't consider, don't pause, no. And they can say that because they have no ethical dilemmas about lying. Uh, You might, but you say no, and what do you tell yourself? It's a white lie. It's because if I said the truth, it would hurt her and, and, and her sense of self and, and so now I'm being a good husband or boy and so I say no for her sake it's a white lie it doesn't, doesn't hurt anyone it's a white lie and even that's a lie as well isn't it you're not telling a lie to protect her for her good it's to protect you because you know if you tell the truth she'll kill you so you just think it, I'd rather you know run away and live to fight another day do we not? Oh, and so then, let's go back to the uh, Royal Commission. Here's Ross Gittens writing about the Banking Royal Commission. He says, amid all the reluctant truth-telling at the Banking Royal Commission, one big lie has yet to be apprehended. Shamefaced witnesses keep admitting they put their shareholders' interests ahead of their customers. Don't believe it. From the chief executives and company directors to those middling managers who seem to be the main ones being sent into the firing line, it's not the shareholders' pockets they've been so keen to line, it's their own. See what he's saying? Why do people lie? Self-interest. From the banks to a husband. It's self-interest to either get things for yourself, to gain or to protect. It's about self-interest. And that is why all of us, our tongues, practice deceit. Because we are all motivated by self-interest. If we're honest with ourselves, verses 10 to 18, it does describe us. If we look honestly into ourselves, our hearts and our lives, it does describe those around us as well. It describes all of us. God's Word is a light shining into the darkness to expose how we really and truly are. It's unpalatable, but it is accurate. All alike are under sin. 
There is no division. There's no us and them. There's no good guys and bad guys. All of us are like are under sin. These are hard truths for us to hear. But they are the wounds of a friend. They're not here to hurt us, but to help us. They're a warning that we might heed so we can be healed. Romans 1 to 3 does paint a black backdrop of all humanity. Now, I've never purchased a diamond, but I'm told, and I've seen the movies, that when they sell a diamond, they put the diamond out on a black background so that the diamond itself stands out. Its brilliance is truly revealed against the black background. Romans 1 to 3 is the black background so that we might see most clearly the diamond that is Jesus, his person and his work. Verse 21, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. But now, what wondrous, glorious words. See, before, black, bleak, helpless, hopeless. But now, this everything hinges, everything turns around on this. All alike are under sin, but now, a righteousness from God. Dire circumstance, desperate need, but now, right standing, right status, right relationship. Note that very clearly and most pointedly, it is not from us. It's not our deeds or our efforts or our religion or our intentions. No, it's all from God. His initiative, His execution, His making it happen. It's from God and through the faithfulness of Jesus. We are faithless, we are sinful, but Jesus is without sin. He is faithful to God. And so we, our response, the only right response is to trust. Faith, belief, trust, they're the the same word, they mean the same thing. We receive the gift of God with open hands. Verse 22 to 25, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. See, there is no difference. There is no us and them, Jew and Gentile. All have sinned. Everyone. But now... All kinds of people can be saved. Now here we see the words justified, redeemed, atonement. Three images, three explanations, three uh, examples. A, a diamond, the, the, more, the larger it is, the more expensive it is, the more facets it has to reflect and refract the light. These here are three facets of the one jewel of Jesus of his person and work. Uh, The first is justification, that is legal language. Uh, In a criminal court, it is where the judge declares you innocent. In a civil court, uh, the judge might say you are now adopted. Uh, Redemption 
is the language of the marketplace. If you go to a pawn shop, you've got to pawn your favourite guitar. Uh, the, the pawn shop owner has it for a period of time. And if you go back and you pay the price, you can redeem, you can get back your guitar. Uh, in the ancient world, it was slaves. You could pay the redemption price and set the slave free. And the last one there, the sacrifice of atonement. Uh, that temple language, well, we heard a, a description of it in the first reading from Leviticus, of blood and death that needs to be poured out for sin. Now, the word atonement, is, it's a made-up word, literally it means at one meant. Two parties separated, this is the way they can be put at one, brought together, justified, redeemed, atoned. We must be clear, we are sinful God is holy. We deserve wrath and judgment. How can God be both just and merciful? Only through Jesus. God himself in the flesh. He comes, he dies on the cross. He pays the price. He pours out his blood. The Old Testament was predicting this, pointing forward to it, helping us understand the price is paid. So that declaration of innocent, of free, of at one, can be bestowed upon us. This is the very heart of the Christian message, of Christian understanding. It's why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And it's tragic. It's sad that so many in our day and age, they are either ignorant of this or being aware of it, they deny it. Uh, I, I knew a man, he, um, uh, when he read of this first, he told me that he cried at its beauty. Only a year or two later, he, he came to me and said, oh, I consider this repugnant. It's sort of old school, it's like an ancient religion of blood and sacrifice and I don't want anything to do with it. I want to say to you that a man like that, you can only walk away from this and, and declare it sort of, uh, sort of culturally inappropriate or, or look down upon it uh, because you live in a society such as ours. That is, we do not take out uh, revenge upon one another. We sort of leave that to the police and the courts to do justice. But in other parts of the world, in other times and places, that is just not the case, is it? Uh, throughout human history, if somebody wrongs you, if there is no God who's going to deal with things justly, what? You must get your revenge now. You must mete out justice for yourself. And we call it a blood feud. They kill one of yours, you must kill one of theirs. Now you see that throughout history. Uh, you know, what the underbelly TV show, the gangland wars in Melbourne, what happened? One criminal killed another, so they've got to kill them, and it just escalates. Uh, in the US, what is it? The hillbillies, the Hatfields and McCoys. Uh, in Rwanda... The genocide that occurred there of two people groups killing each other in a cycle of violence, or the Balkans, or the Sudan, or Palestine and Israel, it just goes on and on and on. If you have no God, then you have no justice, so you've got to get it now. Uh, the Christian theologian Miroslav Wolf, Wolf, Wolf sorry, from um, kind of Serbia and Croatia, uh, he said this, he said, imagine speaking to people as I have, whose cities and villages have been first plundered, 
then burned and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. Your point to them, we should not retaliate. And they'll ask you why. It takes the quiet of a suburb for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence is a result of a God who refuses to judge. In a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, the idea will invariably die. See what he's saying? Only in a peaceful place like this can he say, oh, don't act violently. Don't take your revenge. In a harder, tougher circumstance, people take revenge. The only thing that breaks that cycle is if there is a God who will judge at the end. But also, we need to see that in the death of Jesus, God demonstrates His justice. Because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so as to be just and have the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That is, God is just. He deals with it at the cross. He will deal with it again when He comes to judge. And so now you'll either be under the wrath of God or you'll be under and in Christ. Uh, We know, don't we, in Australia, that the only place that's safe from a bushfire is where the fire has already burned. That's why we do backburning, isn't it? You burn so that the bushfire cannot come. The fire of God's wrath has been poured out on Jesus at the cross. The only safe place is to stand at the cross, to cling to the cross of Christ. That's what we need. And there is God's wonderful mercy poured out for us. See, there really are two kinds of people in this world. Those who are under sin, all alike. And those who've been rescued from that. Those who are justified, redeemed, atoned for. There may be some here today who need to move from that first category into the second. Today is a great day to do that. To pray to God, to ask for Him to forgive you and save you in the person and work of Jesus. And in that, I want to say, for those who remain under sin, there is, there is an insecurity there, isn't there? See, how is life lived apart from God? Uh, if it, you've got to build things up yourself. You've got to craft your own identity. You've got to seek after things, don't you? To prove that you're someone, to show that you're someone. It might be career or sport or relationship. There's a constant striving and chasing after these things, even chasing after happiness. The problem is they're so hard to grasp and they don't last when you do attain them. But for those who are in Christ, their salvation is secure. Their identity is secure. No more worrying, no more chasing. Am I good enough? Have I been too bad? No, you are in Christ. He has saved, He has forgiven, He has justified, He has redeemed, He has atoned. And so we are secure in Him. Now Paul will go on to talk about boasting. People boast about their achievements, about their accomplishments, about the things they possess, because in those things, that's where they find their security. That's where they have their trust and their hope. The Christian does not boast in themselves. They boast, if at all, in Christ. 
in who he is and what he's done for them, in his goodness to them. Uh, It looks a lot like thankfulness, thanking God for what he's done. We tell one another, don't we, about the good things God has done. It's amazing to find that even Christians in their suffering can still be thankful. Uh, I have a Christian friend, uh, his wife was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, she lived with it for, for quite some time, undergoing severe treatment. Uh, just before her death, leaving behind her husband and her three children, uh, she wrote an article saying, I thank God for my cancer. Uh, that's quite a controversial title, isn't it? I'm sure there were, and I know there were tears and, and a crying out and a hurt, and and a why me, and yet in the big picture, she's able to thank God for what is happening to her, even in the ending of her life, because she has a bigger perspective, a grander perspective, that her life is in Christ, her salvation is in Christ, and so even in the midst of cancer, she can see the good hand of God. And she told that to doctors, and nurses, and friends, and neighbours. What a wonderful sharing of the goodness of God, of Jesus and her security in Him. So if you boast, boast not in yourself and your achievements, but boast instead in Christ. And what a wonderful way for people who are ignorant of Jesus to hear of Him through us. Let's pray now and ask that God will make that true of us here today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus Christ, in his death that wins our atonement, our justification, our redemption. Lord, there are two kinds of people. When we know that we were caught in sin, under sin, but we thank you for Christ who does redeem and save and restore, drawing us into relationship with you. And so we pray that... Um, thankfulness would trip from our lips as we speak to one another and those we live amongst and around. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.